This king says, your God whom you constantly serve will himself deliver you. And please don't miss the words. I have the word constantly circled in my Bible. Your God whom you constantly serve. Darius knew Daniel as a man who faithfully and consistently served his God no matter what. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. In our study of the book of Daniel, we pick up in verse 13 of chapter 6. We see that Daniel's opponents are arguing before the king that the law of the Medes and the Persians is irrevocable. And despite the king's favor toward Daniel, he and his friends must be thrown into the lion's den for going against the king's edict and worshiping their own true God. Then they answered and spoke before the king. Daniel, who was one of the exiles, you know, he's a foreigner king. He's not one of us. He doesn't really belong. Daniel, who is one of the exiles, and he accuses him of two things. They accuse him of being both hostile towards the king and habitually rebellious towards the king. Look at it. He says that he pays no attention to you. He's defying you. He pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction which you sign. But he keeps making his petition three times a day. King, this is not some forgetful lapse. This is a man who has a rebellious heart who habitually is going against your injunction. In essence, they're saying, you know what you said, king, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, you've got to throw him into the lion's den. So the trap has been sprung, which brings us now to the consternation of the king. When the king comes to grips with the circumstances, he can hardly believe what he's done. Look at verse 14. Then as soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed. The King James is a little better here. It's a little more little. It says, he was sore displeased with himself. He, he, he is so torn up on the inside with what he has done. He was deeply displeased, and he set his mind on delivering Daniel. And even until sunset, he kept exerting himself to rescue him. He's in a state of consternation. Daniel, whom he so highly respects, has been charged with disloyalty. And he was so short-sighted by the flattery and the deception of his own people that he signed a decree for his own death. Now, under Persian law, we know from outside writing that when a man was found guilty of a capital punishment, he would be executed the same day. So this king, as the text reflects, works right up until sunset. He's looking possibly for some loophole in the law. Maybe he gathered the best lawyers in the kingdom and had them research everything to see if there was some legitimate way in which the law could be set aside or by which Daniel could be pardoned by the king and not break the legal requirements. But this absolute monarch is governed by an absolute law of the Medes and the Persians. And while everything in his life wants to deliver his servant, he cannot. Verse 15, Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Recognize, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or statute which the king establishes may be changed. 
And I'm sure at this point the king has it all together in his mind. These men who wrote the statute himself, which he himself put his hand to, he recognizes their evil plot that he has been nothing but a pawn, but they think they've got it all covered because he can't even execute them according to Persian law when it's all over based on the legalities of this kingdom. And so he feels trapped and he has no choice at the end of the day but to have Daniel cast into the lion's den. Look at verse 16. Then the king gave orders and Daniel was brought in and cast into the lion den. Now the word den in the original Aramaic or in the Hebrew translation of the text, remember this is the Aramaic portion, in both languages means a pit or a cistern. It's used that way in other passages in the Old Testament in Hebrew. And so these Persians would dig these dens. Uh, sometimes they would use a cave and they would dig a hole in the top if they could. This artist's rendering here, by the way, is not all that bad. You can see there's a hole in the top for ventilation. And then on the side, there's an opening for the lions to come in and to eat the victims. And most dens were very, very large. They could accommodate several hundred lions and a few hundred people. And as we'll see here in a moment, in verse 24, there's a whole bunch of folks that are going to go down into this before it's all over. And this was a very fearful form of capital punishment. The Medes were experts in capital punishment. And if you know anything about Medio Persia, then you know that they were the ones who invented persecution, uh, who invented crucifixion by which our own Lord was executed. They thought it up. The Romans perfected it as a means of capital punishment. But centuries before God's prophets wrote of it, a thousand BC, Daniel speaks of it. 700 years before Christ, Isaiah speaks of Christ, Messiah being pursued for our iniquity. And so here is King Darius. He's, he's waiting at the place of execution for Daniel. He greatly admires this man, this man that whom he's asked to be prime minister. And we read here in verse 16, the king spoke and said to Daniel, your God whom you constantly serve will himself deliver you. Whether he knew it or not, I don't think he believed it from what we'll, he will say, but whether he knew or not, he was speaking a word of prophecy, just like Caiaphas did in the New Testament. And in both the original, Hebrew and Aramaic, it's indicated by the, by the words that were spoken that Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. Uh, and, and he throws him into the lion's den, basically hoping somehow that he would be rescued. Maybe he had heard of the event 50 years earlier where three of Daniel's friends were in the fiery furnace in that same city and had been rescued. We don't know for sure, but this king says, your God whom you constantly serve will himself deliver you. And please don't miss the words. I have the word constantly circled in my Bible. Your God whom you constantly serve. Darius knew Daniel as a man who faithfully and consistently served his God no matter what. Then we read in verse 17, a stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet rings of his nobles so that nothing would be changed in regard to Daniel. And this, of course, is how a document or a tomb 
or in this case, a lion's den, was legally secured. They'd take a clay substance and they placed it where the stone hinged against the wall. And if the clay was broken, the clay that would be put between the hinges and the signet ring was put there, and if it was broken, then the tomb or the document, or in this case, the lion's den, had been violated. But not only does the king put his signet ring, all the nobles impress their signet rings. And that's important because King Darius can't wiggle out of this It's a sealed deal, it's a done deal, which brings us now to the deliverance of the Lord in verses 18 to 28. If deliverance must come, it won't come from Darius, it must come from God. Notice first, if you will, the misery in the palace. We read in verse 18, then the king went off to his palace and spent the night fasting. No entertainment was brought before him and his sleep fled from him. Now, first observe, the king spent the night fasting. Ironically, both the lions and the king spent the night fasting. (laughs) Not for religious regions for for this man, and, and certainly the lions, of course, were prevented from eating him. But no doubt he's so ashamed, he's so torn up on the inside that one of his choicest servants was in that place that he couldn't even think about eating. Not to mention, no entertainment that night. No music, no dancing girls, if that's what they had. And third, no sleep. In fact, the Hebrew text literally reads like the Aramaic, his sleep had run away from him. Apparently, this king tried to sleep, but he tossed and turned on his bed all night long. He couldn't sleep as he considered the plight of Daniel and his being tricked which brings us to the miracle in the den. Beyond the misery in the palace, think about the miracle in the den. Verse 19 begins, Then the king arose at dawn at the break of day and went in haste to the lion's den. So since the king couldn't sleep at the crack of dawn, he makes his way to the lion's den as fast as a 62-year-old man can get there. And we read here in verse 20, when he had come near the den to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. You can almost hear the anguish in his soul. He must have peered down as early in the day into a black hole. He doesn't really know whether he has survived the night or not. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you constantly serve been able to deliver you from the lions? Isn't it interesting that Darius refers to him as Uh, that he is a servant of the living God. Though he had never personally witnessed the miracle of the living God like Nebuchadnezzar had and like Belshazzar had, he had witnessed this man's life. He knew that God was alive in this man's life. And I wonder if people looked at our lives, if they could say, oh, he or she or that young man or that young girl... They are servants of the living God. Now notice Daniel's response in verse 21. Then Daniel spoke to the king, O king, live forever. I love that greeting. Even in the lion's den, he uses a proper greeting. And you know it had to touch the king's heart. He's so respectful. And he was affirming that he was still willing to serve this king, even though this king had thrown him into the lion's den. He expresses his loyalty in spite of the fact that his nobles had accused him of being disloyal. 
And of course, in this man's mind, as we've already seen in other texts, it's not enough for Daniel to say that he was alive. He wanted to say why he was alive, because he was a man who lived for the glory of God. Look at verse 22. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me, inasmuch as I was found innocent before him. And also toward you, O king, I've committed no crime. Maybe you've seen the card in the front. It says, why didn't the lions eat Daniel? You open it up on the inside. It says, because they knew you can't keep a good man down. That's why I don't tell jokes. Nobody laughs at them. Anyway, <laughs> now don't miss this. God sends down one of his lion-taming angels. And he says, don't let them put a claw on them. Don't let one tooth mark get on his skin. I love it. It's the work of God Almighty. And I've told you already that next to the book of Genesis, the most attacked book in all the Bible is the book of Daniel for two reasons, because of the miracles recorded and because of its prophetic nature. We are getting ready as we come to the prophetic section to study some of the most mind-blowing prophecies found anywhere in all of the Word of God. And that's why I said, if you can believe, Barashit bara Elohim, in the beginning, created God, Hashemayim, Haditz, the heavens and the earth, you can believe anything. God's Word is true. Chapters 1 through 11 is not some parable as the liberals of our day say, just teaching some spiritual truth, it's history. That's how Jesus thought of it. That's how he thought of Daniel. Not as Daniel the historians, as the liberal critics say, but as Daniel the prophet. Verse 23. Then the king was very pleased and gave orders for Daniel to be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den. Remember, it was a pit, as I explained and as we pictured. And no injury, whatever was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. He had trusted, we might say, he had faith in his God. That's the way the writer of the Hebrews, by divine commentary, understands it in the 11th chapter, because it says there that by faith, Daniel shut the mouths of lions. God spared him. And here's this man in his late 80s. The king couldn't sleep all night. I won't be at all surprised to meet this guy and have him find out he had the best night's sleep he ever had. Probably used the lion as a pillow and a few of them for blankets and probably had a few tails swishing to keep away the mosquitoes and flies. In either case, that brings us to the message of the king. Look at verse 24. The king then gave orders and they brought those men who had maliciously accused Daniel and they cast them, their children and their wives into the lion's den. That was the Persian custom. Not just the person guilty of the crime, but all their immediate family members would suffer with them. Now, that's not God's way. God recorded through Moses in the Torah, fathers shall not be put to death for their sons, nor shall sons be put to death for their fathers. Everyone shall be put to death for his own sin. Which tells me in Joshua 7, when Achan and his whole family is put to death, it's because they were all active participants in his sin. Listen, everything God records, he doesn't endorse. He's just recording here for us what the Persians did in their culture. He's just telling us what this pagan king did. And then the text adds, and they had not reached the bottom of the den 
before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. These hungry, ferocious lions who all night long had been stayed by an angel of the Lord, before these people even touched the bottom of the pit, they were in the lion's mouths. Like Haman of old, who erects a gallows in order to hang Mordecai, these men are hung in their own trap. Now with the execution complete, we read verse 25, Then Darius the king wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language who are living in all the land, may your peace abound. I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and enduring forever. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed and his dominion will be forever. And he rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. Now, while Daniel does not repudiate his gods, he certainly cannot argue with the testimony of Daniel's God. There is no record of him coming to faith. This is like the early days of Nebuchadnezzar. It's just chin music. He believes it, but it's chin music, but he doesn't embrace it for his own heart. Now, I've seen God use some of you in this way. Your life has been so transformed. People know that God is at work in your life. And so the chapter concludes, so Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and, or you could say, even the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Now, how are we going to apply this text of Scripture? Let me make three applications as we close. Number one, I am reminded that our ability to handle the lion's dens of our lives are directly related to our private walk with the Lord. Now, your lions might be different. It might be an illness. It might be some disabling of your body, some business reversal, maybe slander, maybe the loss of a loved one, any number of things. And sometimes, you know, you see a Christian go through one of these things and, you, and all of a sudden their life comes unraveled. You say, what happened? I thought he or she was a mature Christian. But you see, all you saw was their outer life. You didn't see their inner life. You didn't see their hidden life. You see, the difference between Daniel and many of us is at the top of his priority list was spending time and fellowshipping with God. Is that at the top of your priority list? Is that important to you? Does this past week reflect that? You see, in many ways, when we go through a crisis, the reason we respond the way we do is because that is not a priority in our lives when it needs to be. Second, I learned from this chapter of Scripture that the power of our personal testimony can give us a credible platform in which to witness for the Lord. Jesus spoke of us, true believers, as salt. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It's good for nothing anymore except to be thrown underfoot and trampled underfoot by men. If you lose your saltiness, if you lose your Savior, savor, then you're really good for nothing. You don't have the ability to preserve righteousness. When I was the director of executive ministries in Dallas before I came here, my last assignment with Campus Crusade, I had a number of CEOs in a Bible study, and one was the CEO of Wyndham Hotels. 
And I'll never forget what he shared with me. One of the hotels at the time was in Nashville. And he said, Carl, when the Dove Awards came to Nashville and my hotel was filled to the brim with Christian fans and, fans and artists, there were more pornographic movies rented that night than at any other single time of the year. And we wonder why the world is throwing up all over us. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do men light a lamp and put it under the peck measure, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. Salt preserves righteousness. Light dispels darkness. And I realize in these last days there are so many who profess Christianity who are not Christians at all. But please understand, Jesus said, if you lose your saltiness, if you lose your light, you lose your effectiveness. It's not our likeness to the world that gives us an impact. And this is what concerns me so much over Perry Noble in his new spring movement that has now set up headquarters in Bluffton. Is they're trying to win the world by becoming like the world. And any pastor listening to me, you need to warn your flock of the danger because many of God's people are getting sucked into such movements. It's your distinctiveness from the world that gives you the opportunity to have an impact in the world. Two years before her death, pictured her Cassie Burnell. When she was 15 years old, she hated Christ. She was involved in witchcraft and drugs. But a youth ministry won her to the Lord there in Colorado, and she had a magnificent testimony. She became a young evangelist, and she would repeatedly lead young ladies to Christ. And there in Columbine, when that young man came in and committed that awful massacre, and he put a gun to her head and asked her if she believed in God, She did not say, as the press reported, yes, I believe in God. She said, yes, I believe in Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. And he shot her. Just a few weeks before, they had videotaped her testimony. And they played it at her funeral. And there are hundreds of young people there, and 75 of whom gave their lives to Christ that morning. Cassie Burnell was like Daniel. She lived distinctively different, yet God in His sovereignty chose not to deliver her out of her lion's den because God's ways are not our ways. Please know, it is a distinctively different kind of life that will give you a platform to speak for our Lord. This young girl could basically say, for he is the living God and enduring forever. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. And his dominion will be forever. Amen? Do you have that kind of life? Third and finally, there is coming a judgment of fire on all who refuse to believe. Daniel's associates who did not know the God of Israel, who rejected him, who spurned him, they ended up in the lion's den. And there's a lesson to learn from that because Jesus teaches us in Luke the 13th chapter. 
whether it was in the execution of the Galileans or the Tower of Siloam falling on some people, that national calamities are to be a reminder of eternal judgment. And may I remind you, if you've never met Christ as your Savior, and if Christ does not return first, when you die, you will go into a lion's den. And it will be a lion's den in which there will be no rescue and no Savior to pull you out. Because it will be a fixed place for all of eternity. And it will be under the rulership of a roaring lion and not under the leadership of the lion of the tribe of, the, of Judah. And if you've never met God, you can meet Him. But you can only meet Him through Jesus Christ if you will come in genuine repentance and put your faith where God put your sin on our Savior. Will you do that? Father, thank you today that you rule in heaven above and on earth below. Someday you said all the kings of the earth shall praise you. Your word says, when they hear the words of your mouth, yes, they shall sing of the ways of the Lord. For great is the glory of the Lord. Thank you that a day is coming, O God, when the earth, a knowledge of you will be like the waters covering the earth. Thank you that there is coming a special day for your people. Thank you that even in this evil hour, that you are on your throne, that you are setting the stage to the people of Israel for the return of your Son from heaven. Help us not to be so blind and dumb to the Scriptures, but please, we ask in the days ahead, open our eyes to the truths of the book of Daniel that we might see the very days that we are living. Oh God, I pray today for someone who is not sure of their salvation, that today would be a turning point and if you're here, my friend, and you say, I want to go to heaven, I hope I go to heaven, you can know, the Bible says, but you have to come through Christ. And the reason you don't know is because you don't know if you're good enough. You're not, and you can never be. You cannot be your own Savior. Salvation is not a reward to the righteous. It's a gift to the guilty. And if you will come and call upon Jesus today, He will save you, but you must take God at His word. Would you say in simple childlike faith, Lord Jesus, by your death and resurrection, save me and change me. Father, help someone today to do that. And for those of us who have met you, help us not to get caught up in the folly of this age, wasting our lives, investing in nothing, and coming to the end of the life to having done very little for the kingdom of God. God, help some of our oldest adults, some who have been very foolish to make this the first day of the rest of their lives. Help those who have been very wise to continue on that path. And help those in their 20s and 30s and 40s, both spiritually and physically, to watch over their hearts with all diligence that when we might come to the end of life, should your son tarry, that we will be like Daniel. And we ask it like Daniel does for the glory of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. To listen again to today's study in Daniel, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. 
You can also order a CD or DVD copy by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program DAN7, entitled Daniel in the Lion's Den. Tomorrow we continue our study of the book of Daniel in a message entitled A Panorama of Future Events. Join us then as we search the scriptures. Thank you.